Vice President, Mr. Speaker, members of the Senate and of the House of Representatives, yesterday, December 7, 1941, a date which will live in infamy, the United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. The United States was at peace with that nation, and at the solicitation of Japan, was still in conversation with its government and its emperor, looking toward the maintenance of peace in the Pacific. Indeed, one hour after, Japanese air squadrons had commenced bombing in the American island of Oahu, the Japanese ambassador to the United States and his colleague delivered to our Secretary of State a formal reply to a recent American message. And while this reply stated that it seemed useless to continue the existing diplomatic negotiations, it contained no threat or hint of war or of armed attack. It will be recorded that the distance of Hawaii from Japan makes it obvious that the attack was deliberately planned many days or even weeks ago. During the intervening time, the Japanese government has deliberately sought to deceive the United States by false statements and expressions of hope for continued peace. The attack yesterday on the Hawaiian Islands has caused severe damage to American naval and military forces. I regret to tell you that very many American lives have been lost. In addition, American ships have been reported torpedoed on the high seas between San Francisco and Honolulu. Yesterday, the Japanese government also launched an attack against Malaya. Last night, Japanese forces attacked Hong Kong. Last night, Japanese forces attacked Guam. Last night, Japanese forces attacked the Philippine Islands. Last night, the Japanese attacked Wake Island. And this morning, the Japanese attacked Midway Island. Japan has therefore undertaken a surprise offensive extending throughout the Pacific area. The facts of yesterday and today speak for themselves.
the people of the United States have already formed their opinions and well understand the implications to the very life and safety of our nation. As Commander-in-Chief of the Army and Navy, I have directed that all measures be taken for our defense, but always will our whole nation remember the character of the onslaught against us. No matter how long it may take us to overcome this premeditated invasion, the American people in their righteous might will win through to absolute victory. That, of course, was President Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressing Congress on the morning of December 8, 1941. Hello, all, and welcome to this special episode of No Home for Heroes. No Home for Heroes explores history's military mysteries 
regarding Americans who are missing in action from our past wars. These long-forgotten MIAs are remembered here. Today's episode is from case number 0099 of the investigative case files of the Chief Rick Stone and Family Charitable Foundation, and it's titled, Can a Cap Solve a Pearl Harbor Mystery? And I'm your host, Rick Stone. No Home for Heroes is a trademark production sponsored by the Chief Rick Stone and Family Charitable Foundation. For more information on the foundation, visit our website at www.chiefrickstone.com. Stay tuned while we tell you about how a simple uniform accessory, a uniform cap, may hold the clue to solving not just one, but perhaps two of history's enduring mysteries from the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941. I don't think that I ever cease to be amazed and impressed by President Roosevelt's speech on the morning to Congress the next day. All of us here at the Foundation want to dedicate this episode to the men and women on board the USS Normandy. It's a guided missile cruiser, hull number CG-60, somewhere at sea between hither and yon. Happy birthday, Captain. Today's show is a special tribute to you and your gallant crew. Sometimes the most mundane ad items left behind at the scene can solve a mystery. A parking ticket solved the Son of Sam murders many, many years ago. A discarded cigarette butt has been the key clue to many DNA identifications of criminal suspects. And today, we're going to take an officer's uniform cap and add it to modern forensic investigative techniques to solve a military mystery that has baffled the Department of Defense for almost 78 years. Anyone who knows me knows that I like uniform caps. I wore a uniform cap all of my career in police service. I know, I know, I know that makes me old school in the day when baseball caps are a part of the uniform of everyone from police officers to naval officers. Well, ball caps have a place, but they just don't look professional to me for those of us in uniform. And don't even get me started on beards facial tattoos, and nose rings for people in uniform. (laughs) Besides, as my friend David, a fellow police chief, tells me, there's just no way to set a Johnny Angle or put a 50 Mission Crush on a baseball cap. So sit back, relax, put your feet up, and yep, even tilt your cap back on your head as we take a magical mystery tour through time on today's No Home for Heroes. It's our mission today to hopefully bring closure to an enduring mystery from the dark days that President Roosevelt spoke about after the attack on Pearl Harbor in 1941. The USS California, hull number BB-44, was a Tennessee-class battleship originally displacing 32,300 tons. It had a length of 624.5 feet and an original beam of 97.3 feet. It contained a crew of 57 officers, 1,026 men. From 1921 to 1941, the USS California served as the flagship of the United States Pacific Fleet, or what was known as the Battle Fleet. She was assigned to the west coast of the United States and then to Hawaii in May 1940 due to growing concerns over relations with the Empire of Japan. In 
On the morning of December 7, 1941, the USS California was moored at the southernmost berth of what was then known as Battleship Row, adjacent to Ford Island at Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. Many of her watertight compartments and hatches were open in anticipation of an inspection to be performed by command personnel later that day. Shortly before 0800 hours, air and naval forces of the Japanese launched a surprise attack which concentrated on warships of the Pacific Fleet anchored at Pearl Harbor. The USS California was struck by one torpedo below the ship's armor belt, located between frames 46 and frame 60, and another torpedo also below the armor belt between frames 95 and 100. At 0.45 hours, 0.845 hours, a 551-pound aerial bomb entered the ship's upper deck level at frame 60, passed through the main deck, and exploded on the armored second deck. The bomb set off an anti-aircraft ammunition magazine and killed about half of all the men lost that day on the USS California. An additional aerial bomb missed its intended target, but landed close enough to rupture the California's bow plate. At about 10 o'clock in the morning, smoke and fires aboard ship caused evacuation of the forward engine room, which greatly inhibited pumping activities, which had been initiated in an effort to keep the ship afloat. Despite a heroic three-day effort by her crew, for which three individuals were later awarded the Medal of Honor, the progressive flooding from the ship caused her to settle upright on the bottom of Pearl Harbor with only her superstructure remaining above the waterline. In the aftermath of the attack, an organized effort by surviving crew members was begun to locate and identify the dead from the USS California. A total of 100, 100 even dead, were counted along with 62 wounded. The dead were transported to either Halava Naval Cemetery or Nuwanu Cemetery, where they were processed, identified if possible, and buried. Salvage of the USS California began within days of the attack, but accelerated in February and March 1942. The salvage team constructed large wooden coffer dams around her deck edges to bring the ship's effective waterline above the water. These structures covered her port side, forward, and completely surrounded her after deck. The basket mainmast and nine of her 12 14-inch guns were removed, as well as the lighter guns and all the ammunition. A great deal of other material and supplies in badly decayed condition were also removed, adding to the difficulty of the recovery work. These problems were further complicated by the need to remove human remains and some 200,000 gallons of oil that permeated the ship's interior. As with all other salvage work, cleaning the ship was a massive task. Toxic gases and fire were constant risk. At one point, Gasoline fumes in the forward compartments exploded and opened even more holes in the hull. Divers penetrated the ship, closed manholes, hatches, and other openings. After these measures were complete, pumps were able to remove the water inside the ship and further searches for missing casualties were completed. The USS California was refloated on 24 March 1942 and entered Pearl Harbor's dry dock number 2 on 9 April 1942. It stayed there until 7 June 1942. 
and after more repairs and reinstallation of her main battery guns, she left Pearl Harbor on 10 October 1942 and headed for Puget Sound Navy Yard in Washington for a complete refit that will return her to the Pacific battle. In late 1948, all of the bodies associated with the USS California were disinterred and transferred to the Central Identification Laboratory of the Schofield Mausoleum on the island of Oahu, Hawaii. In September 1948, the staff of the Central Identification Laboratory processed all the unidentified remains from the USS California and were able to identify 30 individuals. Many of these were shipped home to the mainland United States for hometown burials per their family request. Others, including unknowns from the USS California, were buried in the National Memorial Cemetery of the Pacific, also known as the Punchbowl Cemetery in Honolulu, Hawaii. Currently, there are 23 unknown X-Files associated with the losses from the USS California. Eight of these files list burials of unknowns that occurred in the immediate aftermath of the attack from 9 December to 15 December 1941. The remaining 15 X-Files list burials that occurred from 23 March 1942 to 19 April 1942. The dates of these later burials indicate that these remains were recovered during the salvage operations during which time the ship was in dry dock. At the Department of Defense in 2011 and 2012, I served as the Deputy Chief of the World War II Research and Investigations Branch, and I was the primary investigator assigned to the cases of American sailors listed as unresolved from the USS California. In that capacity, I developed an extensive computer database that we've talked about on these podcasts before called RISC, Random Incident Statistical Correlation System. I use this system to help identify the casualties who were unknown from the USS California. Twenty men from the USS California remain in unresolved status, including three officers. Twenty-three bodies or portions of bodies identified after the attack as being from the USS California were previously buried as an unknown in the National Memorial Cemetery. It was from these case files that I discovered two unknowns, Halava Unknown X-100 and Halava Unknown X-101. What made these two cases unique, you ask? Well, simple. A not-too-in-depth investigation on my part revealed small notes in their original forensic examinations in 1948 that the bodies were recovered with, quote, metal insignia from naval officer's cap, end quote. <laughs> let, me, let me see here. We got three officers missing. We have two unknowns recovered with metal insignia from a naval officer's cap. You know, could this be a clue? Or, as they say in Texas, do cowboys wear Stetson? Well, the answer to both questions is absolutely. When I ask on their intent for pursuing the identification of the unknowns from the USS California, a senior laboratory manager from the Joint POW-MIA Accounting Agency, or Accounting Command, sometimes known as JPAC, reported that the laboratory would not attempt to identify any remains which were found in the water and could not be securely placed as recovered from the USS California. Well, as a result of this stance, not a single USS California unknown from the punch bowl was ever the subject of a JPAC 
Joint POW-MIA Accounting Command Agency Forensic Examination. Not a single one. Fortunately, JPAC was disbanded in 2015 after much managerial fraud and total dysfunction was reported in the media. Its replacement agency, the Defense POW-MIA Accounting Agency, gained access to all of my investigative reports regarding the USS California. After almost seven years after my original recommendations for recovery and identification of these heroes, exhumations of the USS California unknowns began in February 2018. And the hope was then that the cases of the California unknowns would really take off. Well, alas, here we sit almost two years later and not a single California, USS California unknown has been identified. But, and as you've heard before, there's always a but in history's military mysteries. Let's talk about just one MIA from the USS California. It's an MIA that the Chief Rickstone and Family Charitable Foundation investigated at the family's request in December 2013. It was the family of Ensign George Hellworth Gilbert. Ensign Gilbert was 71.3 inches tall and he weighed 147 pounds. He was born on 9 November 1919 and had just celebrated his 21st birthday. Well, let's see. Let's make that his 22nd birthday when he was killed on 7 December 1941. He had dark brown hair and he was a member of the United States Naval Reserve. I originally requested that his DNA sample, or the DNA sample from his family, be obtained on 14 January 2012. Henson Gilbert was born in Maricopa, Arizona, and completed at least two years of college at the University of Arizona studying journalism before he decided to join the Navy Reserve. He listed his residence as Casa Grande, Casa Grande, Arizona. Henson Gilbert listed his mother, Mrs. Gabriela H. Gilbert of Casa Grande, Arizona, as his next of kin. He listed his religion as Protestant and what should have been stamped on his U.S. Navy ID desk or his dog tags was a big P for Protestant. He had one unique dental profile. He had a removable denture that replaced a front tooth. There's no notation in Ensign Gilbert's military file indicating a deviated septum, but there's some indication in a photograph provided by his family that this may have been the fact. The specific circumstances of Ensign Gilbert's death are not included in any of his records. He does have a notation in his file that his remains were recovered at the disaster site, but it was impossible to segregate the remains satisfactorily, indicating, one, that he was recovered, and two, that his recovery occurred during the salvage period. These two aspects will become very important in our investigation. There are consistent references in his military records to indicate that he was recovered during the salvage operations in 1942, when the ship was in dry dock. Of the seven unknowns for which Ensign Gilbert was originally a biometric most likely match in the risk system, only four of these unknowns were recovered during the salvage operation. 
And now, here's where Sherlock Holmes would really be proud of our deductive skills. Of all of the unknowns, there are only three unresolved casualties from the USS California who were officers. Ensign George Gilbert, Ensign Joseph Ritchie, and Ensign Robert Bowers. So, let's take a moment and recap the investigations. There were two unknowns recovered with metal insignia from an officer's cap. Halava X-100 and Halava X-101. The wrist system tells us that Ensign Gilbert and Ensign Ritchie are not a biometric match to Halava X-100. Ensign Bowers is a most likely match to that unknown. So we have Ensign George Hellworth Gilbert and Ensign Joseph Ritchie, who are a biometric match to Halava Unknown X-101. And the best of these two matches is Ensign George Gilbert. But, and again, there's always a but in history's military mysteries, the fact remains that one of these two, Ensign Gilbert or Ensign Ritchie, are most assuredly X-101. Mystery solved. So the only question now is, how much longer do the families have to wait to get their heroes from the USS California finally sent home? Thank you for listening to this episode of No Home for Heroes. We're sometimes shocked when a slam dunk case like the one we've talked about today comes our way, and we are forced to ponder exactly why no one has solved this mystery for decades. The answer always eludes us. We hope you've enjoyed today's production, and we invite you to check out our other episodes. Please subscribe to for free to Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you like to listen to podcasts, so that you will always be notified when a new episode is ready. We will post a new episode of History's Military Mysteries Missing in Action every Saturday just for you. Episodes of No Home for Heroes are produced from the actual investigative case files of the Chief Rickstone and Family Charitable Foundation, dedicated to providing information to the families of missing American servicemen and missing American servicemen. As always, we greatly appreciate your comments, and a special link is available for you to contact us on our website at www.chiefrickstone.com. You sure don't want to miss our next episode on No Home for Heroes. We're going to have another true story about one or maybe even more of our missing American heroes. Until next time, be careful, be safe, and wishing you fair winds and following seas. Do good, Captain. I'm your host, Rick Stone, reminding you that poor is the nation that has no heroes. But shameful is the nation that having heroes forgets them. <laughs>